again and welcome to 353rd. I am Scott Barstow. And I'm Anders Brownworth. Anders, how are you today? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. We are a day late recording our show this week because we had to give our crack staff Monday off for the 4th of July. This is absolutely true. Um, I I, uh, stepped outside my apartment with 800,000 of my closest uh, friends and watched 20,000 pounds of black power take to the sky. What did you do? We uh, we walked around the corner. We live, as you know, we live a block over from a, from a golf course here in Raleigh, and we uh, we walked around the corner, walked out onto the 18th fairway, and watched the fireworks right over the golf course. It was beautiful. <laughs> Sounds like a blast. Yeah, cool. So I, I try to avoid uh, the mass of humanity, at least driving at all costs on the Fourth of July. Yeah, I got to tell you, the crowds were absolutely just huge here, and I was. Uh, very happy that I had to walk I mean, maybe two blocks and uh, just pop into my building and then I was home. So yeah. uh, I, I just was looking out the window at people, you know, an hour later still trying to drive out of this downtown area. Just crazy. Yeah. So the uh, the, the intro music uh, for this week was, of course, the Violent Femmes. That's right. Uh, Blister in the Sun. Fantastic song. And it uh, goes along with our movie this week, uh, Gross Point Blank. Great soundtrack just all around. Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. It brings me back. Yeah. <laughs> to, I mean, every song in there, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that song. Yeah. Uh, I remember what I was doing. You know, I have distinct memory with every song in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Same just, here. Just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so, by the way, uh, you can find us on Twitter at uh, 353rd. Uh, we've got a Facebook page. Uh, search, uh, search Facebook for 353rd. And, of course, you can find us on iTunes by searching 353rd. We love your comments. And uh, we love the feedback we've been getting from, uh, from the listeners. So uh, with that, let's jump right into Rewind. Sounds great. So first, uh, first up this week is uh, Square. Yes. So this is, this is, one, of, uh, this is one of our, uh, I think for both of us, this is one of our favorite companies. Yeah. And, um, and there was an article in the Wall Street Journal last week, and I know I say that a lot on this show, but I just love that paper uh, or that paper. Online, online news source. What's a paper? Yeah, what's that? What's that all about? Yeah. What is this newspaper you're talking about? Yeah, 1930. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, about the uh, the square square raised another round of money, and uh, the valuation was a billion dollar valuation. Yeah, and uh, I think the the thing for me about Square is it's I consider it to be revolutionary technology, and yet so simple. I it's it's stupid that it's revolutionary. You're absolutely right. What a uh, uh, so Square is just a way to take payments with your your mobile phone and and many other things. They really kind of dive into the um, dealing with the uh, the receipt and and stuff like that. Um, it, it's in the end, it's just what Apple would have done with a payment system if they had the time to do it. Yeah, That's the way I look at it. Yeah, and I, uh, as I was prepping for the show, I was thinking about just in the last couple of weeks, I've had interactions with. Uh, with people coming over to my house and doing things for me, where I was just uh, astounded that I still had to pay with a check. A check. Yeah. So That's I had a school. I had a guy come over this past week to do some electrical work, and uh, you know it was what the, I don't know it was three or four hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah. And I had to write him a check. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. You know, why don't, you know, he, he carried, I forget what kind of phone he carried. I was trying to pay attention, but I don't remember now. I was like, well, why don't, you know, I remember thinking he could certainly run Square. 
yeah. uh, on the phone he had. Oh, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, I know they take a little money off the top, but isn't it worth it to get the money right now? And you don't have to go to the bank and put the check in and yeah, it's all this, to, other, it's all this to, other stuff. It's to get the money now, but it's also tracking of your customers and having a you know a, a record of not only you know, especially in something where the guy shows up at your house, uh, you've got a receipt with a location and a map and like uh, you know. You're building a history of a long-term relationship with a customer, hopefully. So it's not just the ability that you get cash in your pocket right this second, although that is really, really very valuable. Especially nowadays, I see all these um, food trucks running around the city here. It's like a new thing. Um, All of these guys, I saw one of them that was taking Square uh, payments. And I I was brilliant. Most of the time, I don't have cash in my pocket. And I don't buy your whatever it is because you can't take a card. And there's no reason why anybody, you know, has to not take a card now. Uh, nope. You used to have to have a merchant account and, and, you know, there's all kinds of commitments and there's a monthly fee and all this type of thing. But uh, not so with Square. Granted, they take more of a percentage off the top. But, you know, I'm sure with volume that could change. Yeah. And uh, my thing is, is, okay, well, if it costs you... If you've got to ride down the road to the bank and you got to take the time to do that, that's costing you, let's say it costs you a half hour to an hour a week. Yeah. And so, I mean, what's, what's Square's percentage? Like 3 or 4% they take? Yeah, I don't so, know. So, yeah. Yeah, but even so, isn't it worth just your time to not have to deal with all of that? I had another guy came out that he was cleaning the gutters on my house and it was a, it was a, a, the transaction amount, I think, was 80 bucks or something like that. Like, this guy is the perfect guy. They do a lot of stuff in a day. Right, they're at they're at six houses a day or whatever they're doing, and um, what a perfect what a perfect merchant to have a Square account. He didn't have one either, so yeah. I, had to, I had to write a check for that guy too. Weird. That's crazy. I've never had a checking account. Uh, I've, n- I've never written checks, by the way. Yeah, so you say. Yeah, I, I used to refuse to do business with you if you couldn't take some kind of an electronic thing, which basically meant through my twenties I never, you know, bought anything. <laughs> that or I didn't pay for anything. I one of the two. Um, anyway, uh, I, I've, hey, obviously the uh, what's what's cool about Square, I think, is uh, uh, Jack from Twitter. Of course, is uh, now the CEO there. I think CEO. Yeah. I think yep. that's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just I I just have a feeling they're gonna go, they're just gonna explode. Yeah. So totally agreed. Well, I'm gonna touch on this again when we talk about uh, the Saka interview a little later. Yeah, uh, the, there's an interesting point about that, but yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Uh, I know a uh, we talked last week about, uh, or we've been talking the last few weeks about tablets, and you had an interesting, yeah. you had an interesting thought about a way for Android to gain some market share, given that Apple's you know clubbing them over the head uh, right now. So uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your idea and and what you had in mind? Yeah, so so here's the deal. I I, I think what uh, Apple did, they certainly had the first mover advantage. They they move in. Nobody else has a, has anything in the space uh, that competes, and they've just owned it for you know going on two years now uh, with the iPad. And it always seemed to me that you can kind of me too that, and that's been tried. And you have all these other you know quote tablets unquote that that they they show huge numbers that they're sending to retailers and then they just never reply, you know, they never talk about how many come back from the retailers because they aren't sold. But, you know, the end of the day, 
you know, most of the tablet sales out there are iPads. And so they need to have, uh, they need to be able to uh, compete. And there are two ways you can do it. One is you can have a much better product in terms of software and, and you know, maybe the hardware, though it sounds like it's going to be pretty hard to beat the iPad in both of those areas. And the other one is price. And the iPad is really priced extremely aggressively for a for a first-time product. You remember the first iPhone was, you know, I think it was 600 bucks or something like that when you first got it, uh, unsubsidized. The uh, thought I had is, why doesn't Google like the Chromebook thing where you can just lease the thing, why don't they just lease Chrome uh, or, or Android, rather, uh, little tablets for five bucks a month or something like that, whatever it happens to be? That way, you, you can attack Apple on the only other area where you can hit them, and that's price. Um, yeah, and also I think it's it's not only just price, but it's also barrier to entry. Yeah, uh, because it's it's one thing to be able to afford to pay five hundred bucks or even three hundred bucks. So so there's two ways to attack it on price. I think one is uh, you know they could just say, look, the iPad is five to eight hundred bucks. We're going to be two to five hundred bucks. Yeah, but so that'd be of, one way. But the true. other way is what you're talking about, which is I take I remove. Entirely, the decision about well, gosh, is this really worth two hundred bucks? It's always worth five bucks. Yeah, right. Sure. I mean, it's all, anything is worth five bucks or even ten to try it. Sure. Um, and so it's a great way. It's an interesting way to think about. You know, could I go into my Best Buy, check one out, and yeah. uh, and take it home for thirty days? And you know, I've got a rider on it that if I break it, I got to pay for it or whatever it is. Sure. But. But it's a it's an interesting way for them to potentially get more eyeballs on their on their product. Yeah, I mean, you know, short of selling it as a loss leader, I, you know, that's all. That's what you got to do. Um, I, I I think it's even at three hundred bucks, you still need to be really radically cheaper than an iPad to really turn heads. Maybe three hundred bucks is radically cheaper than five hundred. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know either. I, yeah. I, my a part of me says if I'm willing to spend two, I'm probably willing to spend five. Yeah, that well, yeah, well, so, certainly three. Yeah, Who knows? Whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. Who knows? I, I'm not. I don't know that end of the market. I guess. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. So another uh, another topic that I thought was pretty interesting is there's just been this rash of uh, break-ins to high profile websites the last, really the last two months. Big time. Um, you know, you've got Sony, uh, obviously was very high profile with the, with the PlayStation stuff. Um, you know, really, really big breach. Uh, and then last week, um, somebody claimed they had, uh, hacked their way into Apple. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the, the question I've got, or that I want to throw out is, is, uh, if companies like Apple and Sony, uh, are not able to defend themselves against, you know, this group of what what appears to be a fairly organized group of hackers right now. Uh, does the does the average company does the average ten million dollar company have a prayer? Now here's the deal with this: all of these attacks have been relatively, uh, you know, simple things, very basic security uh, uh, lapses or. Or stupid things the companies have done that people are taking advantage of. Personally, I think the whole you know anonymous or, or whatever group you're going to uh, lull sec or whatever group you're going to blame it on 
I, I don't think that this is a, a, a widely coordinated thing. I know it probably looks like that, but there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt connected with the whole security thing, and it's just easy to see it as a as you know the 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 sky is falling. But I don't think that's the way it is. I think it's it's a lot different than that. I think this is something that's um, uh, you know. If it's anything of a trend, it's uh, better script kitty root kits, whatever you want to call it, that is making this happen. It's not, I don't think this is centrally planned. I'm probably in a minority in saying that. Okay, so even if it isn't, does the, does it still, it still begs the question, is the average company, can the average company defend themselves against this sort of thing? Because if the, if the big companies are making these kinds of mistakes um, and you've got a small company where you're probably more lean on resources, yeah. uh, you're almost certainly more lean on resources, the chances for making those kinds of mistakes certainly are higher. Yeah, but there's, you don't have as complex systems. That's true. So That's I, the other I, side of that. Yeah. yeah, so I don't see that. And certainly if you do have some kind of a fundamental flaw, it's much less of a deal for you to get it fixed. Wherein with Sony, for example, they have to take down the entire PlayStation network uh, while the while they go about getting a fix for this massive massive system, granted it's a it's a big expense, large or small company. I mean, it certainly is. Um, but at the end of the day, I think uh, y- you know having security in the forefront of your mind when you build the thing is more a question of the quality of coders that you have designing it than uh, you know some major amount of spend that you've done post, you know, post building the thing to secure it. Like, like a big companies, I see a lot of times they can get into a situation where there's some kind of a fundamental flaw and nobody seems to see it because nobody sort of has the overarching view of the entire thing. And then suddenly it gets exploited and they try to keep it quiet. And then they do this huge thing that, you know, is an entire code audit and redoes the whole thing. And, you know, i personally, I just think this is inexcusable. Um, you can't have a SQL injection attack these days. You, you're kidding me, really? A yeah, SQL it just shouldn't injection? happen. What? Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't happen. So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I think I think that there's. I think you're probably right in that it's uh, it's probably a an amorphous sort of group of people, if it's a group at all. Yeah. And even if even if I even if I'm not a part of that group, it might. If I'm in the if I'm into doing that sort of thing, uh, you know, maybe I maybe I say that I'm a part of that group, even if I'm not. Yeah. It's uh, and th- at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters. Um, it's just a it's it's interesting that you've got the, a number of high profile things happening in such rapid succession. It it just feels like somebody's trying to make a point. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. And yeah. it might be, you know, it could be, you know, the the. The other side of that coin is, you know, maybe it's uh, like the WikiLeaks stuff. Maybe it's really a kind of a watchdog group saying, "Look, you know, you think you're, you think all this stuff that you're, you're putting online is private. You know, here's, you know, six wake up calls in two months. Yeah, here's your password on, you know, five different sites. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if uh, no nobody's really safe, so take that into account when yeah. you're when you're, you know, transacting business. Just know that you're at risk and do what you can and. And don't be stupid. Yeah. Yeah, so. I, think, I think it underscores, you know, have a different password on every site. Um, you know, keep, keep things segmented and separate where 
there are differing levels of security that you need. Yep. Yeah. So maybe it's okay to share a password on, you know, two or three social sites, but your bank, you know, all of your financial institutions, you probably want separate. Unquestionably. As, as an example. Sure. So um, another interesting thing that happened this week was the uh, the Obama, the Ask Obama tweet meetup. Yeah. So I didn't, uh, I didn't watch this go down. Did you? I didn't, uh, but it was, uh, I saw kind of the run up to it. Uh, there was a lot of chatter uh, talking about the fact that, you know, President Obama was going to sit in a room, I think with, uh, with Jack, uh, of Twitter, yeah, Jack and Dorsey. Jack Dorsey of Twitter, and um, and answer questions from uh, from everybody that wanted to blast questions over. I, th- I thought it was funny. The uh, so this company Twitsprout did a uh, did a kind of an analysis of the of the questions coming coming out of it, and the number one question coming out of it was, "Are we going to legalize marijuana?" <laughs> Did he ask this? <laughs> I, I, I never watched it, so I don't even know if he uh, if he answered the question. But I, I just thought it was hilarious that that would be the number one question. That is that is very interesting. I mean, emblematic, I think, of the uh, you know what do you have here? You have the economy that's you know hanging on by a thread, and uh, you know you've got a government that's about to default on its debt. These things are incredibly incredibly important and they're and the first thing is about marijuana yeah or you know the other the other thing that i would add to your list is okay we've been in the middle east with you know tens of thousands of troops for 10 years yeah you know and we're we're throwing so much money over the wall over there uh you know and i know obama's talked about and i this isn't a political thing so we don't want we don't want to go down that path but you know i know he's obviously starting to bring those troops back but why wasn't that why wasn't the question of you know rationalizing what we're spending on defense where was that in the top three yeah Mm -hmm. just crazy yeah uh but funny nonetheless i think it's what i think is cool about it and he's really the first president to do any of this kind of stuff. But I think it's cool that he's embraced the technology. And he largely, I mean, a big part of his election was certainly a product of the way he used social media and the way he organized. And so I thought it was, I thought it was really cool that he was you know, taking time out of his day uh, to kind of be open you know, and available to the masses, as it were. Even if they were stupid questions, I think it's a cool idea. Yeah, totally agreed. Totally so, agreed. So, yeah. uh Anywho, uh, yeah. uh, speaking of Twitter, I thought it was interesting. This uh, I read this past week that uh, you know my you know my feelings from the last show about government intervention yeah. and antitrust stuff. And just as a brief mention, it appears that Twitter is now on the on the radar of the antitrust uh, gang of idiots. Yes, I, saw, I that, saw that. Yeah, there was a there was a news article about the fact that. Uh, they're now uh, doing some preliminary inquiries into Twitter's uh, anti-competitive practices or some blather. Witch hunt? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. I agree. We'll see. Yeah. So yeah. what are your thoughts? Uh, the big news, probably the biggest splash of the last seven days was certainly you know, Google Plus and Google Circles. Yeah. And since, uh, since you're – You've somehow garnered favor with the gods and and have and have access to them. You're going to have to tell me what it's uh, what it's really like as a user. But uh, so I'm interested to get uh, get your thoughts. Yeah. So uh, uh, for whatever reason, I am not able to give you an invite, or I or I would. They're throttling that. 
Uh, I don't, I don't know how this happened for me, some little birdie or something. Um, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, no. So I, I started digging in and, um, uh, it's very interesting. I mean, clearly what they're doing here, um, certainly with Google plus is trying to rebrand the entire idea of what Google is. It's not just a search engine. It's kind of, you know, the, the place that you hang out when you're, you know, I'm already hanging out in Gmail. I'm, we're, we're dealing with a Google Doc to do this uh, podcast and, uh, you know, all these other things. So, so obviously the last piece there is, is really the, the social component, your friends, that sort of thing. So that's where Circles comes in. I think it's really interesting in the sense that it's not an on or off binary medium like Twitter, you're following or you're not, or Facebook, you're, you're a friend or you're not. This you can define people to be in a bunch of different circles. One person can be a friend of yours and also somebody you you know from work and also somebody you follow in some way. Um, maybe it's somebody that has something to do with this particular industry. Whatever it is, you can throw people into a bunch of different circles. So the way I've used this is they, they give you a bunch of circles to begin with. You got a friend circle and, uh, you know, acquaintances and, and, you know, a couple of different ones. Uh, I've used those, but I've also kind of, uh, created new circles around different groups that, uh, that I find interesting. It's similar to lists in Twitter where yeah. you, sure. yeah, you say, you know, these are all the guys having to do with VoIP, for example. So anytime I want to kind of catch up on my VoIP stuff, I go there or my Apple stuff, I go there. So I have, circles for each of these groups. And then I throw uh, people in and people can exist in multiple groups. And um, it's interesting because then you get a Facebook type feed, they call it a stream. Um, but you get a Facebook type feed that that uh, is is narrowed to that group. And yeah. I think this is such an important thing because um, I've always you know, been struggling with the privacy thing with Facebook because as soon as you uh, invite that first guy from work into your group on, on Facebook, you, you know, it's a totally different dynamic than, you know, just screwing around with your friends or whatever it is, you know, and, and so suddenly that causes you to pull back to the lowest common denominator um, of your friends on Facebook, which pretty much means you're not going to post yeah, um, and the the thing about the work thing, I think a good example of that is if you invite that guy that you you know that you are actually friends with at work, yeah, all of a sudden you open yourself up to invites from everybody else at work who's friends with him who you may not even care about or know. Yeah, and then and then you know, it opens up that whole thing. Well, do I friend you or not? And then there's that whole thing in the office where you're like. Yeah, well, why aren't you friending me? Right. I don't understand. You know, it's just uh, the it's, thing. Too that much kills drama. Me. It is too much drama. It's just totally unnecessary drama. So this is a way to you know have that be as fine grained or as coarse as you like. I think it's a big missing piece of the social graph. I I'm surprised Facebook didn't have a solution to this. I'm I'm pretty gung ho about this working out for Google. Although of course they are a long time late mover on this. Yes. Yeah. So, and they, know. yeah, they, they've, uh, they've struggled to be, be relevant and this is what their second or third crack at this. Yep. Um, but the thing I like about it is that they keep coming back yep. and they keep trying to solve it. And you just have a sense there's enough smart people there. Eventually they're going to solve They'll it. They'll get it. Yeah. And the other thing that I think was good and there was a, there, uh, uh, Fred Wilson wrote a blog post about this that I thought was a really good point that, um, the more of these, this idea that there needs to be one or two. Yeah. Social networks is actually, you know, bunk. 
that the that the if you have um, as you described with circles, it's a you've got various levels of kind of importance that you assign to people, and and that allows you that facilitates um, you know people organizing in different ways, and and I, and it just seems like applications that take advantage whether it's Zynga that is pretty much a Facebook play right now. Yeah. You know, does this does this allow them to do things that they haven't been able to do yet because, you know, they haven't been able to touch those folks that aren't on Facebook? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I yeah, I think it's um uh up up to be seen uh whether or not there's going to be one or two. I think there's um you know, the, the Facebook demographic is not my demographic. You know, I can't spend tons of hours on Facebook. I just it's not I don't care about you know, being a socialite or what somebody had for breakfast. I mean, I, I, I want something different out of Facebook. Um, yeah, I agree. So, for me, it's it's really about it's uh, it's for me. It's not just the you know. Here's a bunch of random things about me. I generally am on there. You know, when I'm interested in what's going on with a particular person, I'll yeah. go I'll go have a look. Or if I want to, you know, if somebody's having a birthday or whatever. Uh, but my interaction with it is. It's fairly minimal. limited, yeah, and right. it's, it's and it's really a time thing. But I yeah. think even if I had more time, I, I, I'm kind of the same way. I'm not. I, I wouldn't spend three hours a day on there, you know, playing uh, maf- mafia wars or whatever. Yeah, it is. no, I, so. it's it's crazy. I, I just think there's you know, so Facebook. There's a what's going to happen is rather than Facebook is everything, Facebook is going to take that type of a really kind of social wanna wanna you know deal with drama type thing and then you got twitter which which has a totally different uh thing and then you've got other things like yammer and all and i've got my startup guys on that and you know so that's why there's going to be a lot of different ones it's great that there's a lot of different ones if you try to create a service that runs inside a uh social network uh you know that you have more than just one giant uh, you know, Microsoft and then everybody else is tiny in comparison, kind of like yep. it is today, though. But, uh, you know, I do see that dynamic changing. I see Facebook's uh, kind of, uh, you know, monopoly subsiding uh, yep, in this I agree. social space. I think somebody's, somebody, there's, there's just not the barriers to entry, while they have a lot of users, the barriers to entry for somebody that has something better are too small. Agreed. And I think, I think Google could have something substantively better here. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll, remains to be seen. Yep. Uh, once I once I uh, curry favor with the gods, uh, I will be able to comment as well. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I think uh, one. Well, you sent me a, a really cool video this week of Kevin Rose interviewing Chris Saka. Yeah. So uh, Kevin does this thing called Foundation, which is a uh, video podcast, and he interviews. I think he's done you know six or eight people so far. He interviews just interesting people in the uh, the startup uh, entrepreneurial community. And uh-huh. uh, he happened to do Chris Saka, who is an interesting guy. So, what did you yeah. think of it? So, there was a couple of things. First of all, you know, Kevin Rose was the founder of Dig. Uh, I think he's since. I don't know if is he even involved in Dig anymore. No, no he is. He's uh, okay. he's still commanding role there. Okay, still commanding role. So, interesting guy. He's had uh, some success uh, in in the Valley, and uh, I thought. So, my impressions on the interview were. A, I thought Kevin Rose was a really good interviewer, and I thought the reason that I think that is because he basically asked um, the questions that I think most people watching that video would want answered, and then just shut up. Yeah. 
And you know, of, if if the interview was an hour long, I bet Chris Saka probably talked for forty five minutes of it. At least, probably more. Which probably was more. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, and so that part I really liked. I thought it was really well done. It was really interestingly shot. They had, inter- they, you know, at times they had, and we'll post the we'll post the link to the video on the on the site uh, for those of you that want to actually go see it. But I I would highly recommend it. So Chris Saka, I thought, uh, you know, he starts out talking about his. So who's Chris Saka, first of all? Yeah, so Chris Saka is uh, runs a runs a fairly big uh, investment firm in the Valley. Very well connected. Uh, I know he's invested in Twitter. He's in. I think he's in Zynga. He's in. You know, just these. He seems to be able to pick winners. At least you hear about the winners that he picks. Um, and really interesting guy. Grew up in uh, Buffalo, New York. And I thought it was Lockport. Uh, same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they're like twenty minutes from each other, okay. and the thing that uh, so he starts out telling his so he starts out kind of telling his life story, and he tells the story of when he was going to grad school, he gets these grad student loans, and <laughs> and instead of uh, taking them and actually using them to pay for school, he dumps them into the market. Yeah, and and starts trading, you know, basically starts day trading with house money, and and starts. <laughs> And makes starts to make a pile of money. So this is what I think he said, 1998, 1999. That's right. Makes a pile of money. Makes He's up like $4 million or something like that. Well, he was up 12, actually. Up 12, that's right. Yeah. So, and he tells the story that he goes from $12 million in the black to $2.5 million in the red in a day <laughs> or something like that. Just insane. He lost an insane amount of money in the space of literally a day or two. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he had, so he goes from, you know, I've got all this money. He talks about, you know, everybody around him, you know, thinks he's a God and, uh, while he's, while they're on the way up and then everybody disappears, uh, as he starts, you know, bleeding cash. Yeah. And so he, so he gets to the end of this ordeal and he's two and a half million dollars in the hole. <laughs> and he, and he just, and so he, uh, one of the things I thought that I took away from it that was really interesting is he talks about his decision to not declare personal bankruptcy. That, that is a very, very ballsy move. Yes, because I think most people in that situation would just say, you know, I'm going to let the bank eat it or I'm going to let the broke, you know, whoever I owe this money to, they're going to eat it. I'm going to walk away. I'll sure. take my seven years of lumps. Yeah, he's, and, he was, he was uh, you know, 25-year-old lawyer, uh, you know, just, just kind of graduated. He had something of an asset in, in his law degree, but, you know, $2.5 million in the hole or $2.25 2, 2. or whatever yeah, it was in the hole. that's right. I mean yeah. – you know, yeah, that, that's a ballsy move to just, you know. And I thought the reason was interesting. Out. You know, he's 25 years old, and he and and he says the reason that I didn't do it is because I knew at some point down the line somebody would be, you know, there would be a situation where somebody was looking to invest money with me, and they would see that I had had a personal bankruptcy, even if it was after seven years. He said I knew I could never survive it. Yeah, and so he just said I I just you know, negotiated my way out of it. He said that, you know, it's kind of my makeup to kind of find my way through things. Yeah. And so he said, I just refused to declare personal bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Totally. You got to really, respect really cool. that. Yep. So, and, so I think it was in February of 2005, he got back to zero. Yes. Yeah. He tells <laughs> that story and he put the, he actually, uh, I thought it was funny. He told the story where he paid off his student loan, his last student loan. And he, off, <laughs> and he, he actually paid too much. Yeah. $23 it, and 82 cents. 
Yeah, and so he said he still has that check from <laughs> from uh, from the student loan company on his refrigerator as a reminder. Yeah, uh, and I thought it was a funny point. He said, "You never feel richer than when you get back to zero. That's after- absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely and, true. And so, uh, really, so I thought that was you know, a great, compelling uh, start to the story. So he, so he goes, so he decides after, um, you know, after this ordeal that he's just going to pack up his gear and move to the valley. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then just kind of, I thought it was interesting. He talked about just finding his way into the, into the room where interesting people were getting together and he just looked for ways to help out. He said, you know, I had these skills. I was an attorney. I could kind of put things together. I was good at researching things. And he said, so I would literally just go to these, what you would call a meetup now, and I would just, you know, talk to people in the room and just ask, how can I help? Yeah. And he didn't, and I thought the, the one line that I took away from this um, that I thought was a great line is that he said, my philosophy was that I would create value before I asked for value in return. Yep. So as mm-hmm. opposed to going into that, you know, a lot of people would go into that room and they would have an angle and it was, okay, well, I'll help uh-huh. you out, but I want to, you know, I want to cut of the company or I want this or I want that. He said, I didn't do any of that. I just... When I looked to help, I didn't necessarily care if I made any money at it. He said, I knew at some point I would find the right person. I'd get involved in the right things and, uh, and it would, the, and the money would take care of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Yeah, It was another thing he said is often you're the, you, where you are most talented doesn't occur to you. And that's, that's totally right. You walk into a room, if you're not a technical guy and there's a bunch of technical guys in the room, you know, it's not like you have nothing to give. You, 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 you look at things in a very different way than a technical person does. And, and just the things that you can say off the cuff, you don't even realize what you have. Yeah, and exactly. And it, it, I thought it was great. He talked about, you know, I had perspective on things that, and the same would, the opposite would also be true. But, you know, I, have, I would have a perspective on some issue that a technical guy would never have come up with. Yeah. Just because, you know, it, whether it was because I was an attorney or whatever. So I had, I was able to offer this, my expertise as a, as a, uh, you know, as kind of my ticket into the, into the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was, I thought that was a really cool point. Yeah, agreed. And then he went, uh, we went on to Google, which he, th- which he terms an opportunity of a lifetime. This is like, it really was. I mean, he walks in there and he's basically, this first thing is buying up uh, uh, data centers, huge data centers. Yes. Yeah, uh, and trying to do it on the down low, you know. So yeah, I thought that was or, hilarious yeah. when he's talking story. You know, he's got uh, what he talked about. Uh, somebody was actually questioning whether these guys, whether he and his team were part of Al Qaeda, yeah. <laughs> uh, because he was trying to be so secretive about who he was, who he was representing. And he would actually, you know, he he didn't use Google business cards. He was completely, you know, they wouldn't know it was Google looking to buy it until literally the contract showed yeah. up. Yeah, which is um, brilliant. Yeah. And the other the other thing I I thought was uh, really cool about when he was talking about Google was he talked about you know he was there I forget the year he started you probably wrote it down um, I think it was two thousand two or somewhere two thousand three two thousand three yeah and I thought it was uh, and you and know, I've talked about kind of the big company versus small company thing but he I thought that when he compared the experience of when he got there 
and what he was able to do and the freedom that he had yeah. versus when he left. And I thought, you know, he talked about this when he first got there, you know, yeah, he was working on data centers, but he said, you know, I could walk into a YouTube meeting and just sit down yeah. and, you know, and contribute to that meeting. Or I could walk into a Google voice uh, meeting and contribute about that or whatever the product was. He said, you could, he said the, in the early days of Google, if you saw a meeting on the calendar that was interesting to you, you could just show up. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, so- and, yes. then he con- and then he contrasts that with the end where when he left, when it had gotten big and bloated and, you know, he would walk into those same meetings and they would say, well, why are you here? Yeah, that's a difference between people defining uh, their, you know, basically using the company as their direction and people defining themselves by their territory, essentially yes. just trying yep. to guard their territory. So when you jump in, you know, he's a generalist, very much like you and I. Yep. Um, and when you can't float from one to the next, it's just just not interesting. It's just, uh, you know, very confining. Uh, yeah. so yeah, yeah it's, 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 it was, uh, uh, you know, and he talked about, he got there just after, you know, he didn't make the killing that everybody made yeah. on the options and things like that, but I think he still made out. Okay. Yeah. He but, got a couple uh, million out of that and a couple right. other things he had, right. but, but uh, so, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it was, a uh, the other, the last thing, and then we got to move on, I know, but, uh, I thought it was interesting what he talked about when he talked about the uh, what he looks for in entrepreneurs, yeah, and, you know, there's a guy that's very successful. Uh, he's made a pile of money, and but I thought it was interesting that he said, you know, the things I look for are. He talked about he lives in Truckee, California, which is basically Lake Tahoe. It's beautiful. It's it's just spectacular, yeah. and and he said, you know, so I've got this house in Truckee, and I bought the house next to me. Yep. And he said, all of my, all of the companies that I invest in cycle through and they live and they come up and they stay in that house. Yeah. He said, the first thing that I, that I asked myself is would I want these guys in my, in the house next door to me for two or three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Am I, are they interesting enough that I would want to hang out with them in that context? So what makes an interesting person? Well, if, if, uh, according to Chris, it's, you know, he talked a lot about, uh, the, it wasn't pedigree, which I thought was really interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think Kevin Rosie even asked him, is a college degree required? And he said no. Yeah. Um, and so it's not, you know, Stanford CS and this or that. It's, you know, people that I thought one of the things that was really, really cool is he said, you know, I want people that have had a shitty job. Yeah. And so they know what it's like. Um, to and and they're hungry enough that they don't want to go back to it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I thought the other the other thing that I thought was interesting was somebody that's traveled abroad and had to go into a city or go to a foreign country where you don't know the language and you have to survive. That that is absolutely totally dead on. It makes a, a well rounded person. I mean, when you show up in a uh, strange country, you don't know where you are. You jet lag. You need to ask for directions. You don't speak the language, and you walked up to somebody. I mean, that's a feeling of helplessness. Let me know. Let me tell you, having been there, you know, yep. any number of times, that it, it gives you humility. And so, what I'm thinking is, he's seeing that humility in a business, realizing that you know, you're, you're not a you know a rocket scientist here. You're, you're yeah. You, you don't know everything. You don't there know is anything. To know. Yeah, exactly. So yep. I thought that was interesting. And also, he was saying how you know, like the the hardcore mountain climber guy, you know, just doing everything to the max. Sometimes they, they're not the ones with the balance. They're the ones that are kind of way overboard in one thing, and they are not the ones coming up with the really great ideas. They're yeah. the ones kind of just, you know, just slogging it out. 
Yeah. Um, and that was interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. No, um, and, I, and he also talked about that same thing in the context of, I thought the point he made where he said, you know, look, you need your life. He said, I look for people that have other stuff to do outside of work. Yeah. Because the guys that, you know, go work 120 hours a week. He said that eventually ends for everybody. Yeah. So, you know, you want the guy that's, you know, got the interest. He's got, you know, he's got the interest outside of work, whether it's sports or whatever it is, but they're interested in other things. Yeah. At the end of the day, he wants to look back at this time as being fulfilling. Otherwise, we'd all just go work for hedge funds and be miserable. <laughs> that's what he said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is absolutely oh right. I mean, you know, that's that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, thing. If if you walk out of there, you know, after ten years of you know, we'll talk about this with the movie, but after ten years having done whatever, you want to have something out of that. You yep. want to have gone somewhere, you know. Yeah, the money will. The money is great, but you also want to look back and say, "Yeah, that yeah, was cool. This, that that counted. This was worth it." Yeah, yep. totally. We'll put yep. the uh, link to this video on three fifty dash third dot com three fifty third, and you can check it out. Definitely, highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, it's a must watch. I think. Yeah, I would put it in that category. So Agreed. let's talk about our trip down Amnesia Lane this week. Yes. It's the movie Gross Point Blank. This brings me back, like the yeah. the music. So oh. The set the, right set the movie up for us, man. I absolutely. So, so, uh, so, Gross Point Blank. Uh, John Cusack this is a John and Joan Cusack, actually. Mini Driver, a couple of others, Dan Aykroyd, and a, and a surprise, uncredited at the beginning of the movie appearance by uh, Jeremy Piven, uh, whom I love. He's hilarious. Uh, anyway, this guy, he's uh, uh, plays John Cusack plays Martin Blank, who is. Uh, high school graduate of the class of 86 and he's going to go to his reunion. But the problem is, uh, he's a hitman, And so he has to, uh, uh, his, his, uh, uh, you know, office, uh, manager, uh, Joan Cusack played by his sister, Marcella. She, uh, she either tricks him in or, or you know, kind of figures it out so that he has to go to his high school reunion, uh, to meet up, uh, with his long lost girlfriend whom he had stood up for the prom and had basically left town never, never to be heard from again for 10 years. Uh, so that's, that's how it all starts. Um, what I like about this movie outside of, of course, the awesome music, the opening sequence just absolutely rules. <laughs> He's, uh, you know, his, you know, having a hard time saying where he came from, you know, it's, it's complicated. He's talking on the phone, and he's in the middle of a job, and some might bike messenger goes cruising through, and our hero, you know, pulls up his his uh, uh, sniper gun and and takes out the uh, bike yeah. messenger who was about to take out the VIP, and then there's a whole nother sniper. There's a whole nother you know undercover team there led by Dan Aykroyd. And he eventually goes after the guy. It's like really complicated in the very first two minutes of the thing. Um, yeah. It sets everything up really right. Gives you, you know, gives you his uh, his profession. Uh, shows professional courtesy. Shows where their attention is between the two of them, and uh, you know, sets up the high school reunion on the phone all in like a minute and a half. I mean, it's an amazing sequence if you think about it because this movie actually goes somewhere. It starts at that point and then it goes somewhere. You know. Uh, sort of very different. So it's so talking about Amnesia Lane. I love the Motorola cell phones. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're outstanding. In, they're Absolutely. using the cell phones we were talking about. Maybe yeah, three and the big and ago. the big headsets. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And the the other, just speaking of technology in the movie, it's great when he's sitting in the uh, when he's sitting in the hotel room. You know, the the French assassin has yes, tried to Le, tried to kill him in the convenience store, right? La so he gets he, yeah. <laughs> so he gets back to the hotel. 
and Joan Cusack is feeding him data on this, you know, just wretched computer screen. Yeah. And, you know, he's on some <laughs> modem and he's looking up, they're looking at it in real time. And it, at the time it was a huge deal, I'm sure. Oh yeah. But yeah, I mean, but this is, the movie was made in 1997, so it's 14 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and anytime I see this stuff, I, I'm just amazed of how far stuff has come in the, in that short of time. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And these, these, uh, Another another really uh, funny guy in in the movie is his therapist. Yes, uh, Alan Arkin. <laughs> Alan Arkin. That's right. Uh, so he's trying to figure out, you know, about his reunion. So what what do you say? I killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Just so yeah, and it, and the thing that's funny about it is that he's he's constantly trying to ditch him as a patient. Yeah, he's trying to he's trying to get rid of him. And Martin, you know, John Cusack's character just keeps calling him and Keep, keeps showing keeps up, showing up. Yeah, exactly. Trying to yeah, it's hilarious because I think it, Arkin in this movie uh, ends up being a therapist for himself because he ends up uh, you know basically saying that he's you know his his little session here is compromised because he's afraid of his client. So yeah, exactly. He sits there trying to talk himself out, you know, talk himself into somehow getting out of this. Maybe if this logic is going to work on this killer, you get him out of my office, you know, it's yeah. never going to go. Yeah, it's a great, uh, he's sitting there trying to figure out, okay, you know, if I, if I piss this guy off, there's a good chance he, he can, he'll show up and kill me. Yeah. Um, uh, so I don't want to do that, but I also don't want to, I don't want to treat him anymore. How yeah. in the heck do I get rid of this guy? <laughs> and then, and then later on in the movie, when he calls him, uh, from gross point where he's, where he's getting ready to go to the reunion, he's trying to talk to him and, you know, and then I think to just to wrap up this part of it at the very end of the movie, when, uh, you know, after he's, after Martin blank is exposed as, you know, the killer and, you know, uh, many drivers character, Debbie figures out who he is. He goes through this crisis yeah. and he's sitting in this hotel room trying to figure out what to do next and he calls him and he's leaving this long voicemail message <laughs> and Alan Arkin takes takes his phone and bashes he's, it on the desk. He's trying to make the the answering machine just shut up because yeah. he's in the, he, if you look, he's in a session with some other girl and yeah. she's crying. So yeah. obviously they had some kind of thing. It's just brilliant. That's so, that's so well done. But anyway, so uh, so our, our hero, Martin Blank, goes, goes to his uh, uh, reunion finds out that uh, he tries to roll by his old home. Turns out that was turned into an Ultimart, which uh, which is hilarious because the first time he walks into this Ultimart, they're playing "Live and Let Die" like yes. really loud. Yeah, <laughs> and the, you know here he goes in and he tries to like question the the guy behind the counter. You know what are you doing here? Yeah, how long have you been here? Yeah, and he's just not having it. It's just hilarious, and he keeps running into various uh, people from his past who obviously he used to have some sort of relationship. Uh, and and this is where Jeremy Piven shows up driving a yes. Beamer. You know he's like the uh, uh, real estate guy, and he's showing these homes or whatever it is. And you know he's he's a little high on a couple of things. And you know he every once in a while, just out of nowhere, and you just should not do this if you know that the guy in the passenger seat is a is a hitman. He's sitting there driving along. Suddenly he says, 10 years, man! Ten yeah. years!" He like starts yelling it, honking the horn. <laughs> <laughs> like well, you don't do that. Are you crazy? Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, yeah. Anyway, and he, uh, yeah, and his his character is funny just because he just has these random. He's and it, it, I love in it. Some, in some ways, Jeremy Piven's character reminds me so much. I mean, it's like Ari Gold. It is. It's Ari like Gold. the preview it's of Ari, Ari Gold. Gold. It totally is. Yeah, yeah. from Entourage. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just absolutely hysterical stuff. So yeah. this uh, this movie, I think, 
was this was in the period where many driver just could do no wrong. Yeah. Yeah. She was in Goodwill Hunting the same year she's in this movie. Was that the same year? Wow. The exact same year. Wow. And of course, you and I both love Goodwill Hunting. Absolutely. Just fantastic movie. Uh-huh. Well, maybe we'll talk about that one we day. Need but to. I thought I thought Minnie Driver in this was just great. Yeah. Um, I thought her, I thought her, you know, her character, she's kind of this, yeah, you know, she's Gross Points DJ. And you got to believe that's probably pretty much an irrelevant job most of the time but this is the week it's reunion week and it's her reunion and uh you know martin shows up and you know they they rewind and they go back to the prom night like you talked about where mm-hmm. he where he uh ditched her and she had no idea why and she never saw him again mm-hmm. and eventually he explains you know that he joined the army and you know takes the takes the tests in the army to only to figure out that he would be really good as a hired killer. He has no moral compass. That's right. He has no moral <laughs> compass. And so he, he leaves He leaves and goes to work for the CIA as a hired killer and then eventually goes into private practice, as it were. So I think he must have worked with Grocer, uh, Dan Aykroyd's character, in the, in the CIA. That's my guess. They never really said. But they yep. clearly did work together before, and then they all went off independent. Yeah, I think that that was the impression I had as well. Yeah. Although it, it's never really explicitly said, but I have to believe that they knew each other. Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> good stuff. So, so, so what do you think about? So he's got. So this is really complicated. So Grocer is hired by uh, he he hires the NSA, but he is hired by somebody to take out the senator or the guy that the witness, right? The yeah. guy that that uh, um, uh, no, he's hired to take out. Uh, Blank, who's hired to take out the senator? Yeah, who but, actually is Deb is many drivers. Many drivers' dad, right? And so he had the love interest dad, and he, you know, eventually decides to throw out the whole thing, and <laughs> he's talking on the phone with Joan Marcella, and she's, you know, he's saying, "Are you closing the office down?" Yeah, she's closing the office down. She's pouring, you know, gasoline over right. the whole thing, you know, yeah. ready yeah. to get out in, in total, you know. And so he leaves her something under the desk, and it's, uh, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars in hundreds. Yeah. Um, she starts screaming. I thought that seems classic. Anyway, so he uh, he goes, you know, eventually decides to shut the whole thing down and and start a new life. And and there's a pivotal uh, sequence that I'll get to before that. And he, um, uh, you know, ends up becoming Minnie Driver's dad's protector. Yes. Um, Minnie Driver's dad was uh, supposedly Bart Newberry. Um, in any case, the the key in this film is is that the the film goes somewhere and i think when remember when they were sitting down on um, at some point during the uh, reunion he's sitting there and he he runs into this one girl that he'd uh you know met long ago or you know had never seen since uh, high school and she's married and has a kid and is totally digging it loving yes. it and yep. totally normal and yep. she ends up handing him she she says marriage is great and she hands him the little kid to hold and Suddenly you see like, you know, Martin's like, wait, this is, you know, there's something outside of what I do. And I think that's maybe what kicked it off. And even, you know, Debbie comes over and he hands the kid to Debbie and he takes a, takes out his little spy camera and takes a picture of them. You know, the yeah, two it's of them classic together. stuff. I, the movie completely turns in that three it, minutes. So they've does. got, you've got Queens under pressure is blaring. That's right. That's right. And you've got, you've got the baby is staring at him and yep. he's staring back at the baby <laughs> and everything changes in that sequence for him as yeah. a character. Yeah. And he, and he figures yeah. out, oh, well maybe. Maybe I don't need, you know, maybe this isn't so bad after all. And of course, yeah. right after that, the <laughs> the Basque 
terrorist shows up and tries to kill him and he ends up killing the guy in the hallway. Yeah. And so you go from this moment where he's like, oh, you know, there's, there really is more to it. I don't really, I, you know, maybe I don't need to be killing people for a living. Yeah. And, and then, then and then five, five minutes later, this guy shows up and he, you know, he sticks a pen in his jugular <laughs> to kill him and then, and then throws, so, and then with Jeremy Piven, takes him and throws him in the furnace. That's yeah, awesome. And Jeremy Piven, of course, goes right along with it. Yeah. You know, doesn't think anything of it. Totally in character. It's like, what'd this guy do, man? He's just like, you know, this is cool. All right. We're throwing a guy in the furnace now. That was hilarious. And then, yeah. uh, uh, of course, Minnie Driver, uh, uh, you know, Debbie Newberry happens upon the the dead guy in the hall and yep. realizes what he's all up to and starts to shut him out. And then he has to not only turn his relationship around with her, but also protect her dad. Yep. Come screeching up in a car and there's Dan Aykroyd. Funniest thing about Dan Aykroyd, uh, Dan Aykroyd's character in this movie is he always seems to be wearing gloves when he has a gun in his hand. Yeah, it's you hysterical. <laughs> yeah, and his his character is so funny. It's because he's you know the his character throughout this movie is trying to he talks about creating this union. Yes, uh, of hired killers. Yes, and he so he's, they don't you know, the stamp whole movie. Yeah, so they don't keep stamping on each other's territory. <laughs> and he, he's trying to convince Martin Blank throughout the entire movie that he just needs to join the union. Yeah, and meanwhile they're built they're both you know trying to kill each other throughout the entire movie. But yeah. he's trying to convince them that. Somehow he's trustworthy enough yeah. uh, to uh, to uh, you know to join the union and the great scene in the in Bart Newberry's house at the end when they're both you know they're across that counter from each other yeah. they both run out of bullets Dan Aykroyd has yeah. has more has a, has another gun yeah and he throws his, his he throws he throws yeah. his he throws a gun over to Martin so that they'll it'll be a fair fight and they both stand up and Martin puts the you know just crushes him with the TV over the head. <laughs> It's just Remember a great. It's, it's very. This, this movie is very, uh, very pulp fiction esque. It, it is. It totally is. It totally. That's that's a great. That's a great point. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was quite the ending for this. I mean, you know, he's sitting there trying to get his relationship with uh, Minnie Driver uh, set up, and uh, you know, all all the time killing people and having uh, you know bullets whizzing by and. Even he gives a gun to Minnie and she's she's about to take his head off. You know, he knocks yeah. on the door and she just unloads <laughs> the gun and then looks to see who it was. It's yeah. just hilarious. Yeah, the, the, the last sitting in the tub, ten, you know. Five to ten minutes of that movie, the juxtaposition of him you know, professing his love for her while he's killing everybody in the house. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's just this cold blooded killer, yeah. but then every time he opens the door, he's like, you know, yeah, I really do love you. <laughs> and, and the the scene is so funny when uh you know Debbie and Bart are laying in the bathtub and uh and he says, you know, I want to marry you. And you know, the dad looks up and says, Well, you got my blessing. <laughs> got my, exactly. <laughs> That's classic. This is such a great film. It's a lot of fun to kind of it's a great stroll down the Indonesia lane, let's be honest, because it's about a stroll down the Indonesia lane. But yep. I love it because it goes somewhere, and it really made me a fan of John Cusack movies. It was really, you know, he shines through in this, and and uh, you know, it's great to see that he wasn't just an '80s star. Yeah, uh, I suppose. Yep. So. Yeah, I anyway, guess, so. yeah, and he wasn't just the uh, you know the idiot teenager, right? Right. Um, but to me, this was like uh, I, this movie. His character in this movie was a lot like his character in Say Anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. where he's this kind of quirky, got this really quirky sense of humor, serious but smart. And, you know? Yeah, and yeah. That, you know, I could go on and on about yeah. Say Anything. It's just such a good movie. <laughs> We're but have to uh, so, <laughs> so next week, yes. uh, we are going to talk about. Aliens, yeah, which is of course the sequence to or the sequel to Alien. 
Yes, and you know, this was the first movie I saw in that series. So I didn't see Alien first, and I'd argue if you haven't seen the Aliens trilogy, don't start with the first one. Start with the second one. I also I think it's the best one, but you know, we'll we'll talk about it next week. It's it's going to be a blast. Definitely check the movie out before you listen to the show. Yep. Yeah, you've got uh, – there's a lot of good things about this film. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. I, again, you can follow us on, on Twitter at, at 353rd. Uh, check us out on iTunes. Please post comments. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, until next week. Absolutely. See you then. All right.